my name is Justin the and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And today we're gonna have a laugh, an improvised laugh, because we're talking about Christopher Gibbs. That's right, folks. You know what number this podcast goes up to? Can you guess? No. Can you guess? No. All right, hang on. I'm making this off the top of my head too. All right, yeah, let it's improvised. Just, let me just think. I don't know. Let's get let's get back to it. Yeah, later. yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what? I'm sure you'll get the bit. I'm sure it's something funny related to him, but we'll get back to it. So Christopher Guess is associated with mockumentary. You can't say. Wait, I've got eleven. Oh, wait. Why don't you just make ten louder than this podcast goes to eleven? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So mockumentary. Christopher Guess. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, even though that I when I sat down to like, all right, let's check out his film. Oh, he didn't actually direct that many. Well, yes. So Christopher Guest is first and foremost known as one of the members of Spinal Tap, the fictional rock group that was the basis of the pioneering 1984 mockumentary this is spinal tap directed by rob reiner and largely improvised by its cast have you seen the trailer for this is final tap oh a long time ago where rob reiner's like hi my name is rob reiner i'm editing this is final tap and i don't have any footage for it so yeah. here's this documentary on cheese and then it's just like, it's like just footage from a cheese documentary so good that's an indication of how apparently hard that movie was to sell because i watched an interview with the spinal tappers this week where they were talking about how every studio turned them down nobody understood the concept of a mockumentary like they test screened it and the audience was like why did you make a movie about such a bad band? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't there a story that Aerosmith watched it? It's like, I find nothing funny about this. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, apparently they, the cinematographer of that movie was a guy who had shot a lot of actual rock documentaries. He also shot The Killing of America, by the way. Wow. That's something for you, Justin. That's mm-hmm. fun. Anyway. Mondo. He had shot a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, rock documentaries and when they were filming stuff he'd say you know that's not that's not funny that's that's just what they do yeah like oh this is just another documentary right like you're just recreating stuff that actually happens but anyway this is spinal tap obviously a much beloved cult hit and then about 10 years later Christopher Guest started his own run, films that he directed starring some alumni of Spinal Tap, as well as some Second City people. Wait, aren't you talking about the classic run of films that Christopher Guest uh, made that includes Kevin Bacon in The Big Picture? Who could forget Almost Heroes? Yes, one of Chris Farley's final films. <laughs> yep, the film that killed Chris Farley. That's uh, that's one I've actually never seen. No, me neither. Maybe the ghost of Farley hangs above it. We should do a Patreon episode <laughs> about that. We should do a Patreon yeah. episode about Almost Heroes. But anyway, the real run of canonical Christopher Guest mockumentaries begins with 1996's Waiting for Guffman, continues with 2000's Best in Show, A Mighty Wind in 2003, and then For Your Consideration in 2006, as well as the more recent film Mascots. So the thing that it's impossible for me to get this out of my mind when I think about Christopher Guest. And it's not something that's that shocking because there's actually a section about it on his Wikipedia, but it's the fact that during the commentary for the episode where Spinal Tap appear on The Simpsons, at one point, the people doing the commentary are like, oh boy, this was a uh, tough episode to do the voice recordings for because one of the actors that we had on really, uh, he didn't want to participate in, you know, saying the line 
ninth, he would question everything that we asked him to do. And, you know, we don't want to say who it is, but we'll give you a guess of who it is. But, you know, you only have one guess to figure out who, you know, the guess that was difficult was. Well, you know, funnily enough, Christopher Guest is one of the few people whose Wikipedia page includes a section called Off-Screen Demeanor. (laughs) Yes. Which, which makes the point that uh, off-screen, Christopher Guest, though he makes you laugh in film and on television, off-screen, he is purposely not funny. Yeah, like, humorless to the point of, this man seems angry. I don't necessarily know if that's true, because I've seen interviews with him this week, and he can actually be very effortlessly funny, but he just doesn't put any effort into it, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I remember hearing... He's dry. He doesn't really laugh. I read one article that said that when he laughed, it sounded like a cat, like, about to spit up a hairball. Even though if you looked at his face, it seemed like he was enjoying what I don't think doing. I've ever heard heard him laugh actually yeah (laughs) i mean i I don't seek out christopher guest interviews because he's a bad interview but that's the classic thing right it's like the mike myers peter uh, sellers peter sellers is that like johnny depp the classic comedians of our age (laughs) is that as just regular day people they are hollowed out just like i don't want to be on i don't want to do anything i'm not here for your amusement but anyway i wanted to do christopher guest this week i suggested this topic because when i was a teenager christopher guest to me represented Almost the pinnacle of screen comedy. Really? I, I thought... So it's like Marx Brothers, Guest. Like, among modern mm. comedy guys... Austin Powers, Christopher <laughs> Guest. <laughs> I, I mean, among modern comedy guys, to me, Christopher Guest, like, he was the height of sophistication. Mm-hmm. And, and also just, like, made me laugh so much. I mean, when I was... When I was a teenager, you know, I wore out This Is Spinal Tap. And then the other movies, too. Like, I saw A Mighty Wind on opening day. I thought it was insanely funny. Mm-hmm. And I remember in 2006 going to see For Your Consideration, and, and it came out the week after Borat. So, <laughs> oh, and, boy. and I remember going to see Borat and actually coming out of Borat when I was 17 and thinking, will I ever laugh again? Because that movie was so funny. It may be the ultimate in comedy. You didn't go like, oh, wow, that was funny. I can't wait for it to be blown out of the water by the next Christopher Guest film. You know what's funny is that when I saw Borat in theaters, I was like, eh, I was expecting it to be funnier. Wow. <laughs> I think we've had this discussion before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure we did. I mean, I genuinely like thought... Christopher Guest, just stone-faced. <laughs> the only time Will will attest to this, you ever hear me laugh is when there's a microphone or camera in front of my face. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm stone-faced. No jokes. Yeah, he just does it for a living. And I almost speak in a whisper the entire time well yeah i mean borat i mean i actually thought like this this i may i may never see anything this funny again which shows you how myopic you are at 17 yes, but anyway i saw for for consideration next week and i remember leaving it so disappointed and thinking fuck that's the last christopher guest movie we're gonna get for like three years and i didn't even like it it'll be it'll be six years between good ones by the next time he's like a michael myers or stephen chow is that like i i don't understand why you, you can't just crank one out every year but you well know, he it's works a, a, it's a hard process yes it's a hard process i mean because that's the thing about his movies right that he directs is for people that may not be familiar with them they are mockumentaries so they are structured like a documentary usually oftentimes talking to the camera not all of them because and for your consideration is not a mockumentary even though it's shot in like the office style after seeing for your consideration i don't think i saw a christopher guest movie again until last week really you didn't run out to see mascots on netflix or whatever Uh, channel it showed up on i watched 10 minutes of mascots on netflix and i was like oh wow the magic is gone Mm. yeah i thought i thought it was terrible what i saw he lost his touch the man who was who is a baron in the the united (laughs) kingdom lost his touch with the people fifth baron hayden guest of the british house of lords (laughs) his father was a british united states diplomat so anyway about two weeks ago 
uh, my girlfriend and I, when we were looking for something to watch during the long process of negotiation to try to find something that would satisfy both our moods that night, eventually settled on best in show on a streaming service. We watched it and I found it uh, pleasant. I found it very easy to watch and I almost never laughed at it. I found it like amusing throughout uh, and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed all the actors, but I didn't, I didn't belly laugh at all. I would say the exact same thing when I watched Best in Show and as well when I watched Waiting for Guffman, which I don't know why I didn't see it when I was a teenager, but I remember reading reviews of people being like, this is the funniest movie ever made. I was one of those people as a teenager who thought that movie was insanely funny. So having watched Best in Show again, I wanted to go on a journey with Christopher Guest. Mm -hmm. I wanted to revisit these movies and think, because I kind of liked watching Best in Show. I liked the pleasant feeling of it. I liked seeing those people. I wanted to spend more time in that world. But I also wanted to understand why was I not laughing at this as much as I used to? I mean, there's not big jokes in it, I guess. Like, that's the thing I was thinking when I saw Waiting for Guffman, which is I'm like, wow, this is a very... It's a pleasant experience, yeah. but like there's like I was reading reviews on Letterboxd. People are like, I've never laughed louder in the first 30 minutes than I have in any other movie. And I'm like, really? Yeah. So let's start, though, with This is Spinal Tap, because This is Spinal Tap, which I had not seen since I was in high school. I wore it out in high school. Mm. OK, I and I still remember it almost every beat. So it was like a Monty Python, the Holy Grail uh, style movie for you. Cause that like Monty Python, the Holy Grail. I knew that by heart. Yeah, it was very much like that. I found watching it again this week that like. I don't know. I felt a little melancholy feeling of being like, oh, yeah, I, I still know all these jokes. Like when he when the, the guy goes through the metal detector in mm-hmm. the airport and he's got the cucumber, uh, cucumber in his crotch. The guy, like, that's Harry Shearer, Mr. Burns and Smithers himself. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, is it Nigel Tufnell is <laughs> yeah, his character? A, I don't remember what his character's name is. Um, but anyway, I saw that and uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, I know this whole joke. So I'm just going to see the whole joke. Yeah, that was a joke that uh, they would show, at, you know, that big uh, what what channel did the, like the top hundred comedies. Yeah. And they show like that. And then, you know, some like it hot. Of course, the funniest film of all time at number one. But I still love This is Spinal Tap. I still think it's a great movie and by far the greatest movie that I saw this week. Oh, yeah. I think Spinal Tap uh, is not one that I watched endlessly as a kid, even though seemingly every, you know, friend's dad had that DVD on their <laughs> shelf. Like, you're not allowed to be a dad. The DVD that had the commentary by Spinal Tap. Yeah, in character, yes. So, for those who aren't familiar, just for the sake of formality, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I will say what the movie is about. The movie poses as a documentary of a British rock band known as Britain's loudest band, Spinal Tap. They were not always a heavy metal band. They started as a hippy-dippy flower power group. Uh, they Before that, they were kind of like early Beatles. Mm-hmm. But then eventually, cravenly, they turned into a heavy metal band because they are bad. They are very derivative. They follow whatever trends are going on at that moment. They're very stupid. The way you described it, it sounds like there is almost like a thoughtfulness behind the music that they're making because you get the sense they genuinely enjoy yeah. what they're doing yeah. that there isn't a cravenness to it like an exploitative element in that where they ended up maybe they are following trends is something that was organic to their journey and that they enjoyed this kind of stuff and i think that's very important about you know the christopher guest movies that work for me is that they need to be kind of centered in something 
real. And that if it's not, then it doesn't work. Like even Best in Show, the dog show is something real. The dogs are real. They are not a joke. They will always be dogs. And just all the details of the dog show, it feels like a lived in world. It feels like this is what a dog show actually is. And this is Spinal Tap has the music, which sounds like real music you would find on record. Some of it is great. And there's a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, the music in this is Spinal Tap is such an incredible achievement because the songs are both bad and catchy. Yes. Very catchy. Who didn't have Guitar Hero and played? Because it was the easy. One. Uh, for for 20 years, I've been humming Sex Farm and Big Bottom <laughs> yeah. and all those stupid Look, songs. Big Bottom, I'm like, wait, that was a Queen song too, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about bum cakes, my girl's got them. I know, it's... it's so good. I mean, the movie knows it. They play those songs in their entirety. <laughs> yeah, and like the songs, the, the fucking songs work and the, yeah, lyri- the lyrics work. They're stupid. But they're not either like a joke. Like if you play, I mean, this is the thing about This Is Final Tap that makes it work as well as it does is that when you watch it, you go, oh, if you showed this entire film to someone and they, for some reason, didn't, had never heard Spinal Tap, they would assume it was a real documentary. Yeah, it looks, it, it's the only one of these movies that actually really looks real. Yes, because there's nothing that even like, you know, pushes it too far into like, oh, okay, you know, none of them are being, you know, attacked by a gorilla in a cage. Right, right, right. Or anything like that. Like, even just the conversation they have at Elvis's grave, they'll try to like, <laughs> sing the song. Oh man, that's so funny. Or where they talk about the cover and they're like, oh, well, the difference is he's the one that's being tortured on it. It's like, oh, there's such a thin thin line line between between clever clever and stupid. stupid. (laughs) I mean, getting back to what you were saying about how how real the movie seems, learning about the process by which these movies are made this week, I found that before they made the movie, they rigorously collaborated on what is the life story of Spinal Tap? What are all the albums? Where did everyone come from? How did they meet? And you can you can really feel that. One of the things that's so exciting about the movie is you feel there, there is this whole world that you're only, you know, getting the tip of the iceberg of. There's a bit early on when Rob Reiner, as the director, is interviewing them about some of the reviews that their albums have got. And you see various album covers, Shark Sandwich, The yeah. Gospel According to Spinal Tap. And you think... I wonder what songs are on that. They actually feel like albums that might exist in the world. And the improvisations in the movie, especially when you're looking for it, it feels so natural that you can feel them building off each other in some moments, like when they're talking about drummers. And you can tell they're making it up as they're going along, where they're like, oh yeah, he just exploded. It's like there was- People spontaneously combust every year. They just don't report. Oh wait, but there was a little bit something left. Like you can see them playing (laughs) each other. Like that's the game of the scene where they're like, a little bit green stuff. Or the other one where they're like, well, he, the official explanation was that he choked on vomit. The other one one says, they don't know whose vomit it was. (laughs) That's so funny. And I mean, of course, like this movie, I think there was like something like hundreds of hours yeah. that they shot to get to this point. And I was surprised reading it about today that like the core of it that gives it a backbone was added in the middle of shooting because they were like, we need to give this some kind of structure. So like there was no girlfriend character that came in. Interesting. And I feel like that really helps this movie in a way that like Waiting for Guffman does not have that kind of element. Like there's no goals that they're doing. And at the same time, and this is Spinal Tap, there's also the downward trajectory of the characters as they sink lower and lower like playing at an army base <laughs> and everyone's like it's too loud brad willard as the guy at the army base is so fucking funny where he say, where he says like oh we're so happy to have you here we're such fans of the music uh, not your music specifically but rock <laughs> music in general i mean let's say right here fred willard is the mvp of all of these movies right so, so when i say that i didn't laugh all that much at these later ones uh fred willard is accepted from that i still laugh <laughs> what happened <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so good. But yeah, so this is Final Tap. I mean, we could continue about like why it's funny. The fact that like in the opening scenes, they all have cold sores on their mouth. Did you notice that? Well, that's an example of like the very subtle jokes that are throughout <laughs> yeah. the movie where it's not at all. No attention. <laughs> is massive cold sores yeah. on their face. Attention is not called to it. Nobody mentions it. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> just in passing and it's just every little thing it's really funny how much it came to define you know uh just the idea of rock band like this is final tap just set in cement like this is what a lame rock band looks like well i think about it every time i see like in the documentary decline of western civilization mm-hmm. part two there's that band ovid do you remember uh, in ovid? The hot tub? yeah <laughs> yeah who are like the shittiest band in the movie and there's there's such tryhards and you can't watch them without thinking about spinal tap yeah, or the whole scene where they're walking around being like hello cleveland yeah <laughs> you turn ourselves around so only that is from a real doc like rock documentary oh, wow. where like a band can't find where to go <laughs> and they end up in a tennis court <laughs> like, yeah. they're like oh, how do we get here <laughs> which is very funny so 10 years go by, Christopher Guest makes The Big Picture, which I, I saw a long time it's ago. Fine. Yeah, it's a showbiz satire. Yeah, it's like uh, everyone in Hollywood's laughing about it. But the thing about The Big Picture, which I love, is the opening sequence, which is at a short film festival, which understands so perfectly the lame short films that film students make. Like there's one where it's a Napoleon film, big giant budget, stars the guy who directed it. Another one is just filled with camera tricks where it's like, the killer was you! And there's like a Hitchcock zoom in zoom out just crazy camera moves and then like the silly like kevin bacon like tim burton one and the fact that everybody at at that short film contest uh they're all like and you just did it with your own money and there's jokes about like and i'd like to thank my family trust or what he's like ah it's my agent's uh, son thanks so much for making that uh, that's a short film so for the most part the big picture is about kevin bacon as this young filmmaker who's trying to make a movie in the hollywood studio system and he wants to make a personal film a, a film that's in black and white and it's set in a cabin i gotta say that film that he wants to make sounds boring as hell well that's where you and christopher guest part company because this is an example of you know hollywood wants to make it craven they want to constantly compromise at every point Mm -hmm. Uh, my memory of the big picture which i i liked when i saw it when i was 15 and haven't seen it since but i remember that there were some weird tonal things like martin short shows up as like a very comical agent kevin bacon also has like uh fantasies oh yeah like casablanca and something it does not work at all and isn't there kind of like a sexy fantasy that he yes, has about later on because he leaves his like small town girlfriend to move in with a craven hollywood hussy so, right right yeah it just doesn't really work it's just very kind of like by the numbers and it's not playing to christopher guest's strengths really so 1996 waiting for guffman this is the first mockumentary which i understand is a term that he doesn't like no because he likes to say that I'm not mocking these characters. I'm just exploring oh, these give little me a facets. Break. And I gotta say, he's laughing at most of these characters. Yeah, come like, on. There's not much of a kind of uh, emotional backbone to them. Waiting for Guffman is set in the small town of Blaine, which is famous for two things. <laughs> the fact that President McKinley stopped there and paid a compliment to the stools there. Yeah. And so it became the stool capital of America. Best joke of the movie. And then about 60 years later, uh, aliens supposedly landed there before Roswell. Yes. I mean, that's a funny joke, especially when it comes back in the play that they're doing. Yeah. You know, Waiting for Guffman, Christopher Guest is at the center of it. He plays Corky St. Clair, who is a inspiration 
Christopher the Tiger King. That's right. He's a, a theater impresario from New York who seems to have failed out of New York. And now he's in Blaine trying to rebuild his career. And he is tasked with, oh, and by the way, he's evidently gay, although he says that he has a wife. The joke is that no one has ever seen. <laughs> and I think one character at one point goes, maybe that's why he's so like stressed out all the time is that his wife, they're just not connecting because I've never seen her. But anyway, he's been tasked with uh, directing the big stage musical, big, the not very big, com- the community theater musical that will commemorate the town's 150th anniversary. So the big issue I have with this is like, I, the second half is the musical and it's not good. Like it's not even good to the point of, oh, I could understand why they would think it was good and fun. Even though I do enjoy how the town loves the musical, they could not get enough of it. Like it's not a thing where they're setting up them up to fail in front of an audience. Like the town and the people know what Christopher Guest's character will put on stage and they love I it. I don't know if I completely agree. Like, I think the musical works well enough because like I've been to community theater. I've been to, you know, school plays and stuff that are like shitty. And, you know, you've got a character like the Eugene Levy dentist character who is obviously not convincing as a prospector. I know, I agree. But, and, was, and, but you get that in community if theater. If it was just pushed a little further because like the idea of like, oh, a Broadway person is going to come and see us like the like. Even if that person did come, it would end in failure, right? It's unrealistic that anybody would think that the yes. show would get picked up for Broadway just for the basic reason that it's, it's about the town. It's about the town There's of Blaine. No yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's charming when you watch it, but I just wish because like it doesn't have that Spinal Tap style like, oh, OK, you could show this to someone and they'd be like, oh, I understand. It feels almost too jokey. <laughs> I, I felt it was maybe, if anything, a little too gentle. Mm. Uh, I didn't I didn't laugh uproariously a lot. I thought it was funny. I mean, OK, it's it's hard to talk about comedy a little bit because so much of it is just going to be me saying like, yeah, I didn't I didn't find it all that. I funny, mean, the one but... big scene in this movie is uh, guest character asking for one hundred thousand dollars from the, and he gives this big long speech. I mean, to me, that was the funniest part where yes, he's like, I and, and, and I hate you people because you're bastard people. <laughs> yes, that's the best part. Uh, or I liked it later on when he yells at somebody, I hate you and I hate your ass face. Mm-hmm. There are certain scenes in this movie, the, the Christopher Guest movies all have for me now these long stretches where somebody will be going off on a riff that I think just absolutely like clunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this one, for example, the scene where Fred Willard and his wife, Catherine O'Hara, are out for dinner with uh, Eugene Levy and Linda Cash. And they go off on this riff about how Fred Willard has had a penis reduction surgery. Yeah. I I found that brutally unfunny this time. Uh, I found it amusing, but that's what I mean by like the too jokey. Like you're pushing it too far. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not realistic. Yes. When when it's a mockumentary, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. realism matters a lot. There's a late, there's a scene, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in A Mighty Wind, where Jane Lynch, as one of the folk singers, is going off on this monologue about her career before she was in the band. And she talks about how she was a porn star. And she goes on and on about this. And she's like, and then in my last film, Not So Tiny Tim, I learned how to play the flute. And I found it kind of brutally unfunny because if you're not on board, first of all, it doesn't make sense that somebody would be talking this like openly about it mm-hmm. in a documentary like this about folk music. Like the the logic of it doesn't work. But even if it did... Sorry, I don't find it all that funny that somebody used to be a porn star. Yeah, because you're mocking them, right? It's like, I yeah. can't believe you did this pornography. That's what the joke yeah, is. Yeah, and, and it's like, maybe grow up. Like, what, yeah. you've never seen pornography? It's like, it's not all that taboo, frankly. I mean, because isn't that the one of the issues with uh, Waiting for Guffman is that like a lot of the joke is, isn't Christopher Getz and he's acting gay? Yeah, I mean, I think it works a bit in Waiting for Guffman just because that character is so defiantly himself. Yes, and that he doesn't compromise in who he is when he does it, which is why I think that one of the issues I had was 
close to the movie is that it ends so bitterly that you're like, oh, I guess that's it. Okay, I actually like the ending of the movie because if there's one thing that I ultimately like about Waiting for Guffman, it's that the characters, not everything they do is realistic, but mm-hmm. where they come from and where they end up is realistic. And I think the movie has some great empathy for them. Like Parker Posey is the young woman who works for Dairy Queen. And at one point she says, well, there's always a home for me at Dairy Queen. And she says it very optimistically, but it's actually crushingly sad the way she says it. Uh, Yeah, just crushingly sad at the end. And all of his docs waiting for Guffman onward do have those epilogue moments, which are often, well, except for A Mighty Wind. But we all know what we're talking about there. Oh, yes. Uh, Well, okay, A Mighty Wind, which is my second favorite after Spinal Tap. Because it's the music. Because the music feels you know, authentic that like they did go and they opened for Spinal Tap as that band and you would buy it. A Mighty Wind is about folk music and it's about these three folk bands or three folk outfits who reunite when a big record producer, the record producer who made them all briefly stars dies and they reunite for a benefit concert. It's the Folksman played by the three Spinal Tappers, Mitch and Mickey, a estranged sort of almost Sonny and Cher type duo uh, played by uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Uh, Eugene Levy's performance is so funny. And Catherine O'Hara is amazing too as sort of a Joan Baez type. You <laughs> yes. know, she's 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 excellent. And funniest of all is the new Main Street Singers, which are not a band of nine people, one of whom is the from Beach the old... Boys. <laughs> That's basically yeah. the joke. One of whom is from the old Main Street Singers. <laughs> yes. But the band has basically been taken over by these young frauds. And it's this incredibly commercial bastardization. But... What I think is so clever and brilliant about A Mighty Wind is that all three of the bands, like the new Main Street singers are the most commercial of them all, but all three of the bands are shit. Oh, I like their music. Well, I like it too, but <laughs> but they are, they're all three of them commercial bastardizations of whatever folk music. Yeah, they're not Woody Guthrie walking around with his six string playing songs but, about revolution. But th- they're not. No, it's, they're not. It, they're the folksmen and they're playing, you know, Eat at Joe's. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's all the old songs that they're playing over and over and over again too. It's like they're caught in like a nostalgia wheel that they'll never escape from. And it's funny that the folksmen so resent the new Main Street singers as being like them. hacky and commercial <laughs> because it's like, you guys are so hacking commercial unlike us like we're the, <laughs> we're the real folk music but the thing is the new mainstream singers are worse than them <laughs> they're, but they're not real folk music yeah, either yeah they're people bo- that want to watch them they don't want to listen to that they're both bad but they're just different levels of bad but uh, those songs are fun to listen to i i love the i love the songs uh, yeah. i'm trying to think like yeah that movie i'm like what are the big laughs of it like i feel like what happened <laughs> yeah fred <laughs> He's the he's the best part of that movie. Fred Willard is so funny. But aside from that, I mean, I'm I was compelled by it. I loved all the details. I loved all the album covers, and uh, I, I loved all the performances and the dramatic story between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. I thought was very beautifully handled. I didn't laugh that much. No, yeah, me neither. Especially when you think of like this is Spinal Tap, and is it just Spinal Tap gave them a jumping off point of these dumb characters that like it just worked so well, and the verisimilitude of it just popped off screen, and that you can never really recreate that again. Do you think a lot of it has to do with how overdone the mockumentary form has been since these came out? Maybe, and I also think that like especially in the Christopher Guest directed movies, is that the plots are either not dramatically kind of compelling enough or not biting enough like there's no real satire to them if there's something i like about these movies it's that they have this 
they do a tricky balancing act of making fun of the characters while also sort of loving them and their world. No, I agree. Because like the folksmen, those three guys, Gast McKean and Shearer, clearly love folk music and they love having an opportunity to play folk music. Yeah, like they love it. Like, like even though it's bad. Doing it. Yeah, and they love it <laughs> it's because not bad. it's... Well, if you enjoy it, they, they'll take it guilty pleasures. And they, they agree. What real folk music you listen to? Don't tell me Bob Dylan. Uh, uh, hang on, Bob Dylan and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. The folksmen. Yeah, the folks. <laughs> I, I never claimed to be folk music fan number one, okay? Let's get to For Your Consideration, because this is like the nadir. Well, mascots, but eh, I feel like that doesn't exist because nobody talks about it. Yeah, for, well, it's the nadir that I've seen from beginning to end. Yes. So, For Your Consideration. So, this is about the making of a Hollywood prestige drama called Home for Purim. Yeah. So, I mean, the first issue with this film is that the movie they're making is not a real movie. It feels like an SNL sketch. And if you don't have that base, and you see clips from the movie and it's like, yeah, it feels like Christopher Guest shot it on, you know, it just looks cheap. Doesn't work. You're right. It doesn't feel real. Look at what was winning Oscars at that time. Like the moment that I think about from For Your Consideration is one where Catherine O'Hara is talking to a guy. John Michael Higgins as the publicist, right? No, not John Michael Higgins. That's a very funny scene where she says, I heard a rumor on the Internet. And he's like, the Internet, that's the thing with email, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And OK, I have a problem with that, though, because. A publicist would know what the internet yes. is. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a scene where she's talking to like a PA and she forgets his name. And he's like, oh, no, my, that's not my name. She's like, I've been calling you that all day. Like, that feels like a real scene. Yeah. And like they walk away and there's like a border between them. And she's like, oh, uh, see you later. Wait, are you still there? He's like, yeah, I'm still here. Like, that's funny. <laughs> that feels real. But it doesn't make sense that halfway through the production, the studio head played by Ricky Gervais comes in and is like, can we turn it into home for Thanksgiving? It makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, the other I mean, a funny joke that Catherine O'Hara dedicates herself to is she has like crazy plastic surgery for the back half yeah, of the movie. Yeah, that's funny. But like, it's like, I don't care about any of the characters. It's like, who, why do I care if Catherine O'Hara wins an Oscar? It doesn't ring true the way the Oscar campaign happens, mm. where just like some magical oracle, some guy in a message board says this has Oscar buzz. And then, and then the studio is like, oh, did you hear that? It has Oscar buzz. And somebody else says it has Oscar buzz. The, the studio is always involved in engineering this. I mean, that's how the big picture ends too, which is like, everybody wants to get Kevin Bacon, but he's on a, a vacation and because they can't get hold of him his value goes up higher and higher and higher this sounds like nitpicking i'm sure but it, the details actually matter when you're making a, a satire like this the details are the reason a mighty wind works they're the reason this is uh, this is spinal tap works but i mean again i only saw 10 minutes of mascots but i don't think christopher guest has spent any time in the world of uh, mascots you know what the funniest part of for consideration is Fred Willard. I don't of know course. if you remember him, but he's like a E.T. style host where like he often doesn't even know where he is. He's like, we can cut that out. Right. And then it like fades to something else. That's funny. And his co-host as the Mary Hart type is J Jane Lynch. And she does this like really funny, like stand. Like, <laughs> yes. she, she remember that? <laughs> I love the Fred Willard character because I mean, it would make no sense that he's on the show. He has his hair like in a mohawk the entire time. Yeah. That movie, For Your Consideration, has the problem that these movies increasingly had where by this point, Christopher Guest's rap company had become so big that everybody had to have something to do mm. and there are certain dead end bits like the, there was a Siskel and Ebert parody yeah. in there where it's like not very funny and it's like okay this is just here so that these two guys who are in all the other movies can be in this one too. For a guy that essentially people associate with the mockumentary it's weird that like his filmography as we talked about it has basically gone well it's not as good as this is Final Tap which Christopher Guest did not direct that's a Rob Ryder film. Uh, many people love the ones that came after and I did once too. People are already writing angry 
angry emails being like, you just don't get the heart of waiting for Guffman. That's why you aren't laughing as hard as Will was when he was a teenager. Yeah. He has been bitter and hardened throughout his life. If Christopher Guest were here right now, I'd shake his hand and tell him I admire his work. And he'd probably look at you stone-faced, would turn around and leave. Yeah, that's right. So if you have any letters, you can send them to us at Podcast at gmail.com. And our first letter is from Kevin Barr. And it goes, hey, Justin and Will. And the subject is how to be a film school TA. <laughs> Fell in love with the podcast this past summer, and it quickly became the first podcast I've ever followed on Patreon. I love your willingness to touch seemingly any topic and try to find the art in it. Hell, I first started listening after I heard about the Something Weird episode. Wait, this reminds me, this is off topic, but I read that Christopher Guest in an interview say, how can anyone like the Three Stooges? Who wants to watch three grown men hurt each other? Okay, fuck that guy. <laughs> I take back anything I said nice about uh, him. The letter continues. You know who makes me laugh the is three the Three Stooges. Stooges. <laughs> I'm starting graduate school this fall, and I've heard you guys crack a ton of jokes about Film 101 classes and share your thoughts on how film school was a disappointing to you. I, hang on, I just want to say that I had a lot of good experiences in film school. I don't want to, if, if any of my former professor, professors are listening, <laughs> which they're not. No, there's I no just, way. I just want to say that there were many things I learned and and liked. But you know, when I'm when I'm here with Justin, what do we want to do? We want to we want to razz the funnier elements. And the letter continues. I'm going to be a TA for an intro to film class in a couple of weeks, and wanted to know what is it that you wish you could have gotten out of a film 101 course. The professor who developed the course is required to only teach aesthetics rather than historical or social context. Ugh. That sounds very out of fashion. That doesn't sound like. Uh, anyway, go ahead. So the syllabus skews. How can you talk about just aesthetics without connecting it to the context? I mean, today's Zoomers, all they want to do is talk about the the social historical stuff. Now, you know that this professor probably has been there for like 40 years and he's been teaching the same thing. Week one, birth of a nation, a masterpiece of form. <laughs> <laughs> so the syllabus skews very heavy on modern films to demonstrate film techniques and styles with an obligatory screening of Citizen Kane thrown in as well. I love Wells, but I hear a lot of these intro students hate watching it. If you have any advice on what kind of a leader I should be for this class, I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Kevin. Well, I remember when I started Intro to Cinema 101, whenever it was, in first year university. I remember the professor, who is a very good professor, saying... Uh, this is not a film appreciation class. There are films that you won't like here, some maybe even violently so. That's okay. We can talk about that. I, I thought in some ways that was a decent introduction, but then in other ways, I kind of wish it was a film appreciation class. Yeah. Like, people people learn better when they appreciate it. I would say, if it's a film 101 course, give me the stuff you appreciate to give me a baseline of where I can then jump off into other stuff. All right, oh, kids, let's sit and watch The Bicycle Thieves for the second class. Like, ugh. But I mean, there's a way to make the bicycle thieves come alive it is but it isn't the same canned response that they're delivering to a class of a thousand people i mean i remember the week that we spent on experimental film they showed us a few clips of stan brackage's the act of seeing with one's own eyes which of course was not a crowd pleaser <laughs> yes and paul sheritz's touching which is really not a crowd pleaser that's one that is strobe lighting and and just uh abrasive abrasive audio of someone going touching 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 and like within the strobe lighting and colors an image of a man like with his tongue between two scissors that looks like you know like kind of like the cunnilingus mm. the thing and the class hated it and honestly looking back i think there's a way to make that come alive i agree like, like, did he just kind of show it or dryly present it and then yeah, he screened it kind of and like that is such a that's such a kind of like oh now i'm gonna sound like an old man saying this but that sounds like such a 
punk rock movie to make. Mm-hmm. It's it's such an abrasive thing to do that there's a way to make that come alive for a young angry audience i don't know i mean we're not zoomers so we can't speak of their minecraft and their other stuff whatever their points of yeah. interest are but i would say that i mean and this is a ta as well so he doesn't have control over the course that he's teaching is that try to find a reason to be passionate about the thing that you're talking about and try to involve the audience do not ask them historical questions and hope that someone answers i was a kid that never liked to be asked upon uh, during any class because I'm like, I'm going to get the wrong answer. Please don't ask me. So there's a way to go about that and to ingratiate you, yourself without like turning your chair backwards and being like, all right, let's wrap. You're right. Try to find what you love in the thing and then exactly. try to communicate that love. And, you know, if they can see that passion, I mean, not a, all of them will. It's a film one one class. Some of them are taking it because they had film in the title. Like, this will be easy. This is what I'll take. You will never communicate with those children. Forget them. They're at the bottom of the well. But you're going to, some people will be like, oh, I never thought about it this way. I mean, Citizen Kane, the fact that there's some kids that hate it, even the kids that hate it, I feel like there's a way to get in on them. Even if it's just like, look at this opening shot. Look how crazy it is and how practically it was done. Look how amazing it is that in that newsreel, he tells the entire story of the movie before he starts it. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine what it was like in 1941 to see this movie, to see this story told out of order in this way with or these contradicting the, points of view. That opening scene. You know what kids love or, or what I love hearing is like stuff I didn't notice when you saw the movie the first time that it just kind of passed you by. Like that opening scene where they're all watching that newsreel, like all their faces are in darkness. You don't really see who's talking. Kane's mother's boarding house where the camera goes from one end of the room to the other end of the room. And if you listen to the Roger Ebert commentary track, Mm -hmm. you know that the top hat that's on the table shakes in a weird way. And that's because it's breaking apart. (laughs) That's yeah, because the table came together after the camera went through it. I mean, that's that's amazing. I'm getting excited. (laughs) How can you not like Citizen Kane when you can talk about because like you know, as film 101 people, something really that's easy to grab onto is the practical way that something is put together. When you explain to somebody like that, it's like, oh, it's a puzzle. Almost everybody loves to have puzzles explained to them and that you realize how the puzzle was made. Or for God's sakes, just say that Citizen Kane, you know, he made it as this movie about like this, this real newspaper baron who tried to have it banned. Yeah. I mean, that's and incredible. And and tell them too, that it was the inspiration for their favorite new movie, Mank. <laughs> <laughs> I really, hope there's like mank heads that are like mank's better than citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, really hope that i uh, meet some of those people then i turn around and walk away uh, christopher guest style so yeah there's i think a lot of ways to talk about this kind of stuff i think passion is probably the most important thing when i think of the film tas i had it's a guy that's probably been a graduate student for too long sitting in a chair just burned out doesn't want to talk to the kids not passionate about anything that he's doing so I, that's the one thing. Don't that, be that. Yeah, don't, be like us. Yeah, passionate. This is what you do as a TA. We've talked about almost every movie they'll probably cover. You just sit back, you queue up our episode, you turn it off, <laughs> leave the room. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much for that letter. And what are we doing on our Patreon this week, Will? This week, we are talking about The Muppets, specifically their 1979 classic, The Muppet Movie. Yeah. I mean, we've never talked about The Muppets before. Shockingly, even though people have demanded it. Which Muppet are we each the most attracted to we answer is there a long conversation about muppet anatomy and by that i mean swinging frog dick of course i mean come on folks (laughs) so you can check that out at patreon.com slash the important cinema club five dollars a month we'll get you every episode so what are we doing next week will next week uh speaking of anatomy (laughs) i I was gonna lead with that but i was like i'll leave that open for will we are heading back into the trash that's right we are talking about another psychotronic cult 
uh, hero, one of the faces on the Mount, Mount Rushmore of the trash heap. We're talking about Russ Meyer. Woo! Russ Meyer himself. Yeah, king of the tits. Yep. Uh, Super Vixens, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. Ah, what a filmography that man. Mud Honey, that man had. The Immoral Mr. T. So we should talk about Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, I think. Mm-hmm. What else should we talk about? Uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Sure. Do you want to... Uh, there's so many I want to talk about because... Can we squeeze in the one non-erotic film that he did, like the studio picture? Have you seen it? No, I don't really want to. Ah, uh, you got it. Like, that's the one, right? And that's the one that, like, everybody says, like, it doesn't work, but the editing is so hyperactive to the point of, like, you've never seen a movie cut like this. Yeah, wouldn't you rather watch Mud Honey though? <laughs> yeah, I would. But... I know, let's talk about it. Like, maybe you can <laughs> We have to me. get the different facets. I mean, we'll talk about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is probably his most popular film. The one that's well, most available, yeah, too, exactly. yeah. Because, I mean, we'll talk about it in the episode, but is his... Uh, I'm putting it in air quotes. Widow still around and holding on to all of his pictures. I don't. I didn't know if he had a widow or not. Well, there was a woman in his life that took control of his estate, and yeah. Oh, you have definitely not read the final chapters of the Russ Meyer biography because oh boy, it goes into late period Ed Wood territory. I read that book in 2007. Mm-hmm. I want to say so. I've almost completely forgotten about it. Um, what I do remember about that book is that he came off as a pretty unpleasant guy. Yes. And that like near the end of his life, he was out of it. And there were some people controlling his life and that he mostly centered himself on publishing his biography. And by that, I mean, making sure the margins were correct and the spacing between words, which he became obsessed with. And uh, the man really did love tits. I he mean, loved it, tits. It, it was it not was an not act. It was the no. central fact of his life, it seems. But also his visual style, which is very specific. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We're getting too far. We're going to be talking You're about right. that next week. So until then, my name is Justin I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. We interrupt this program briefly to thank some of our new Patreon subscribers, who include Michael Heisler, Jacob Forster, Benjamin Mulvey, Ken Nichols, Jordy Matheson, Alex Ross, J.R. Scully, John Petrovic, Benjamin J. Hedrick, Michael Keane, Alexander Roth, Chris Dunn, Hugo Poderesso, Danny Ramone, John Abel, Andrew Kriegbaum, Yaron Kron, Meg, David Bertrand, Felix Dembinski, Carly Martin, Liam Rennie, Lyle Tyler, and Jack English. Thank you very much for becoming patrons. We could not do this without you. And the person listening to this, if you have not reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, please do so. We would really appreciate it. It helps us find a bigger audience. And finally, I'd like to thank everyone that helped with the Gold Ninja video fundraiser. I am so excited with the things that I'll be able to do thanks to all of your contributions. But more on that next week. And with that... I now return you to your regular scheduled programming. Well, I blew some money recently. A lot of money. I've been there. Yeah, some money on some stuff. You know, irresponsible, honestly. (laughs) Wait, did you order it from the website that I sent to you? Yes, I did. Which is like, you look at that website... And you're like, is this real? Like, is this like a GeoCities page of I some I was kind? really, you know, taking my life into my hands ordering from this website. But you had done it first. I had done it first. I had, uh, you know, rolled that uh, magnum, put it to my right. temple. So Justin sent me this German DVD Blu-ray website. You're saying it like I'm giving you heroin and I'm like, here, Will, free taste. You reached out to me and asked for it. Well, you had told me about it before. <laughs> yeah, and like a year I, ago. A year ago. And ever since then, it had been like nagging me. And then I would see these things on your shelf and I'd be like, oh, I need it, I need it, I want it. And so so I asked you, and then 
uh, it was it's the site where you can get a bunch of uh, what they call German media books. Which oh, they is, look so good. It's just a fancy packaging, folks. But it's such fancy packaging. And they're all like different media books. I don't know which one. I got big ones. I got little oh, ones. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. So... But what really matters is they had a lot of movies that are not easily available here. Mm. Not even online. Yeah. Easily no, available. they're not available because sometimes they're very limited runs as well. Yeah. So like because I mean, we'll, we're about to talk about exploitation films, but I don't know which company in Germany has a giant vault of these pristine prints. Like, they're there, I guess. And I they're scanning them and putting them on DVD and sometimes Blu-ray, but they only come out in Germany and you can only buy them from this very suspect website. Yeah, so like a few months ago on like German Amazon, I got this Blu-ray of Enter the Game of Death starring Bruce La. And it's beautiful. Thing of beauty. I've never seen the movie look so good. And then I went to this sketchy German website, which actually isn't sketchy at all. It's, it's not. It's official. Yeah, it's and legit. Like uh, the company that does a bunch of, they did like some Godfrey Ho stuff. They do Marshall. Mm-hmm. They do Shaw Brothers stuff now too. Right. They sell, I think, only through that website pretty so, much. So there's nothing sketchy about it, but it is in German, so it can be hard to navigate. I mean, you just, I think, is there an English option you can switch or do you have to go through Google Translate? I, I go through Google Translate, yeah. I didn't I didn't see an English option. And the issue one. too is all of these exploitation films, you're like, is it? the movie that I want? Well, yeah, because they have German titles. And so I'm Googling and I'm like, oh, oh, is it that one? And, you know. And not only that, the covers do not help either. The covers just have Bruce Lee's name on them. Yeah, sometimes Jackie Chan's on the cover and Bruce Lee's name is on it. So Bruce Plotation movies, uh, if you're listening to us for the first time, uh, those are, I'm conscious about being accessible. Yes. Every episode of the Important Cinema Club is the first episode of the Important Cinema Club. Enough said, yeah. Bruce Plotation movies are the Bruce Lee ripoff movies that were made after he died, starring Mm. people like Bruce Lai, Bruce, Bruce Lai, yeah, you know. So uh, I, and there's a million of them, yeah, millions. <laughs> and I ordered a bunch of these uh, in beautiful widescreen because I grew up watching these movies in shitty pan and scan prints. Mm. And the thought of seeing the image of Bruce Lee in widescreen is so exciting. What I should say as well is that these kind of German releases were the inspiration for Gold Ninja Video because mm. Will had a bunch of limited editions. And I was like, mm, this is doable. And they had like a little numbered thing on the back. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. And I think I also took, because there were like a solid color and the poster in the middle as well. Mm. Yeah. Which is why that's why the Gold Ninja Video ones looked like that as well. Anyway, yeah, I, I ordered it. And then like I, I messed up the order. Like I... I uh forgot to pay there's a credit card this is boring but there's a credit card option oh well i gotta say it's very frustrating yeah. like they don't take paypal or like anything like that so i ended up corresponding with them like the same thing oh too. yeah feeding into google translate <laughs> yes yeah you know so so then i i sent them this uh what is 1990 we're like sending money orders i know <laughs> like i sent a money order to some german bank yes. for this uh or an austrian bank actually mm. to this like quite a bit of money and i thought i mean that huge amount of money I just spent could I may never see it again and no matter how many discs you order as well you know what I'm going to put the e- uh, the website in the description of this if yeah. you want to check it out because it's not like on the dark web or anything like that but it's also like flat shipping which is like huh like no matter what you order it's like yeah. one flat fee but anyway three weeks later they did arrive it got uh, so fast too I got them. yeah so I was I was really happy to get it so yeah I had a Bruce Ploitation triple bill a few nights ago. I had such a great time. I started I started with uh, we gotta talk as well as that these German releases. It's just essentially a surprise bag. You open up the disc, 
Sometimes there's a second DVD and you're like, it's in German. I don't know what this movie is. <laughs> yeah, they come with a second DVD that sometimes has a whole other movie. Yeah. And one of one of them had a bonus disc that was one of the movies I bought. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I could have saved uh, that one. But then the then mo- other one had a different bonus disc. It did right? have a different bonus disc that I didn't buy. So it all evened out at the end. So yeah, I watched Bruce Lee against Superman, which is an early Bruce Lee movie. Pretty wacky, mm-hmm. pretty wild. Had a great time. Then I threw on the image of Bruce Lee with Bruce Lee. Uh, had a great time with that. And then I watched uh, one of many Bruce Lee biopics called, uh, uh, I forgot what it's called, The Dragon Lives, mm-hmm. also known as He's a Legend, He's a Hero. No, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Who started that one? That was Bruce Lee. And okay. I'd never seen it either. And I, after I watched it, I decided to like figure out, okay, how many Bruce Lee biopics was this guy in? Because <laughs> yeah. between 1974 and 1976, he made five Bruce Lee biopics. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, and four of them were in 1976. Can you imagine making four Bruce Lee biopics in 1976? I can't Just imagine. doing that same story over and over but again. But he must not, they must have like shot simultaneously and he doesn't know what's happening. Like. There's a baffling scene halfway through The Dragon Lives. Again, this is the Bruce Lee story from beginning to end. But halfway through, he just has a mustache for a few scenes. And <laughs> maybe so, he came off a different set. <laughs> maybe. Like, he's filming Fist of Fury. He's mm-hmm. filming the iconic dojo fight from Fist of Fury. He's got a mustache. And he's got a mustache. <laughs> it's like, guys, why does he have a mustache in this scene and no other scenes? How has there not been a company that's done a Bruce flirtation? We've talked about this before. I, we've heard rumors that Severin was working on it like a couple years ago. If I were to speculate, I would say elements are an issue because the, the negatives, if they exist, are in Taiwan. Just release the Grindhouse version. Me and, like yeah. People who are buying Bruce flirtation box sets will take battered prints yeah. as long as they're in widescreen. I also think possibly music rights are an issue because all of these movies... I know, but I feel like companies like The Sword of the Claw, the act for release, has like Star Wars music in it. Yeah. And it's just like, shh. <laughs> just yeah. don't tell anybody yeah but yeah i agree that uh you know rights issues could be if you were doing like a you know if it was a criterion style company i mm-hmm. guess but there's just so much now that's being put out like i feel like there is a market for that kind of stuff like even like gold ninja video i was like ugh. I would just love to do like a Bruce Lee disc, a Bruce Lee disc, just like dedicated to just the Well, maybe, maybe you will one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will one day. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So uh, will, when will be the next time that you venture out onto the German website again to drop, a, I don't know, like a payment of rent to grab discs? Well, I mean, since doing it, I bought one on eBay. <laughs> it was. It's that one. I think you have it too. It's that one like... Oh, fuck. I forget what the movie's called. It's that, it's that one in the yellow box on the far left there on your shelf. You know, the one with, like, the three ladies, the Shaw Brothers movie? Fucking hell, I forget what it's called, but what matters... What matters <laughs> you know the German title. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what matters is it has Dana, the Hong Kong sexpot actress Dana. Everyone <laughs> loves her from the image of Bruce Lee. And that's why you need to own it. Yes. 